We live in a constantly changing world where the speed of information is changing how we think and act and connect with one another. When people in a society lose faith in their institutions, in God and in each other, the nation collapses. We need help rebuilding trust and tying it all together. Welcome to All That To Say, a podcast exploring the interrelatedness of all things in long-form conversation. Hip-hop artist and singer-songwriter Swoop joins Jim Lyon to explore the intersection of faith and culture. Swoop, you are a hip-hop phenom. You are building a brand, and it's already uh, up above ground. I mean, if this was a skyscraper, you're, you're on your way to the top. <laughs> and it's uh, so amazing to just kind of look at you from afar in the sense that I've checked it out online. I've watched some video. Uh, we've seen you in a commercial. Yeah. In fact, tell me about that, that commercial uh, JBL, the headsets. What was that like? Yeah, so I did a commercial spot for JBL's True Wireless headphones with the uh, NBA MVP uh, at the time, Giannis Antetokounmpo. And um, I almost threw the email that was sent to me to book the commercial in the trash. Because that was the first the first reach. And it was random. Like there was no warm-up conversation. I had never met any of these people, nothing. We didn't meet at a mixer or a party. It was just, you know, uh, an email from Spotify, my electric company emailing me, telling me my bill is due, <laughs> and uh, a J an email from... Uh, a middleman company. It wasn't even from JBL. So I read the email. It was extremely informal. Like, hey, love your music. Uh, Want to use this song in a commercial? I'm like, oh, I've gotten these before. I've gotten syncs before. Next sentence. We also want you to be in the commercial with uh, current reigning MVP, Giannis. I'm like, this is fake. <laughs> so I called my manager. And uh, at the time, there was so much life going on. I said, Johnny, I don't have time to deal with this. Um, but I do want to start chasing these things down. Find out who this is and tell them to stop playing on my phone. <laughs> um, so she tracks down the email. I mean, she replies to the email, tracks down, and um, it's real. So she calls me back like, this is not fake. This could be life-changing opportunity. Whatever you're doing on said date, cancel it. Stop it. Stop yeah. it. Get on this train. Yes. Um and what ended up happening was there was a young man that worked for the middleman company that JBL outsources to for all of their music in their spots. Uh, believer, huge Christian hip hop fan. And the running for that commercial, no lie, was a song from Drake, a song from Kendrick Lamar, and a song from Travis Scott. These are those three and J. Cole have they run hip hop right now. Yeah. Like they are the kings. Um, but JBL didn't want to use music that they had to edit. So they're like, we need something clean. Not even Christian. Yeah, yeah. But we need something clean. We just don't want to have to fix it up, cut and paste. Giannis has a very clean uh, image. He's a, he's a family man, all those things. So pairing his image with an explicit song doesn't work. So the young man uh, slips my music in without telling anybody he just kind of puts my, that's the song's called <laughs> hall of fame he's sneaking it in he puts hall of fame on the list they hear it they're like we like the beat is there any cussing in it they say no okay find out who it is and email them 
This happened within a span of like eight hours. Wow. It's the way the story was told. Uh, and two months later, I was in Vegas uh, on a set with a young man that when he, he bumped into me in one of the one of the uh, scenes that we were filming, uh, and they were like, "Hey, you can't hurt him. He's worth two hundred and fifty million dollars." <laughs> just, just be careful with that bump. <laughs> and I'm like, "He bumped into me. <laughs> I'm worth at least thirty thousand. Like, what's Come up? Come on, give me a Um So yeah, the commercial was fun. It was great, and um, it made people pay attention. Like, oh, this Swoop Kid is for real. Yeah. Um, I had been doing music for a long time, um, but overnight successes always take twenty years. So uh, I mean, it was a great doorway to oh, walk in. Yeah. Oh, man. But tell me about just the production of that. So you're actually recording uh, in the commercial. I mean, they're not dubbing in something you've already produced. You're just reproducing your mm-hmm, song mm-hmm. live, as it were, mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. that production. Yeah, I was actually performing, which I didn't know because they had me send them the song, they had me send them the acapella, and then they had me send them the instrumental. So I'm like, oh, they're going to chop all of this yeah, yeah. up. Um, maybe I'll have a couple lines, and they were like, "No, nah, we want you to rap this." So I'm I'm rapping the same verse, you know, thirty thirty five times over the course of a, a couple hours because they wanted me to actually perform in the commercial spot, not just press play on the song that people hear mm-hmm. in the yep, album, yep, but I was yep. actually performing. Yeah. Wow! And so that Yanis guy, did he say, "Give me more. I need more of your stuff"? He was cool. I didn't know he was that young. You know, he's so tall and. <laughs> yeah. 150% muscle, uh, you know, you see athletes and it's almost like they're not real. You know, he walked into the room and there was a presence about him um, that should have been intimidating. It wasn't because he was such a kind human being. He's a kind of authentic guy there. Yeah, young and just inquisitive, um, wanted to know more about what the song was. Uh, he went and listened to it during takes uh, and heard me say at the end of the course, because it's a... It's a song about championships and, and Hall of Fames. But what I'm saying is I want to garner all of these things so that I can lay them at God's feet. That's what I was saying. And he, I said at the end of the course, and he came in and asked me, is, is this song about God? So we were able to have a conversation <laughs> yeah. about you know religion and, and Christ and all of those things uh, on the set of a JBL, NBA sort of thing. So you just never in know. Vegas. In Vegas. <laughs> well, uh, during... Uh, um, basketball summer camp and the ESPYs. So, I mean, it was it was live, you know, and to be sitting with the top guy in the league talking about God was just like, man, I couldn't have dreamed this. Yeah. You, you couldn't have engineered saying. it. Not you couldn't have all. planned that. No. And, and you just brought up Christian hip-hop. I mean, yeah. oh, well, what's that? I, Christian and hip hop are not words that are usually strung together. Nope. Now you just you just disclosed that there's some guy, some no name that you don't know that sent the email. Yeah. Who was himself a believer, but in his professional life was yeah. building bridges for this company and their advertising game. But he was into Christian hip hop. Yes. And that's how you got to the table. Yes. With the Ennis ad. Yeah. All right, but talk to me about hip hop and Christian. What in the world are you doing? So you're right. They didn't intersect uh, Christianum and hip hop until about the early 90s um, with groups like the Gospel Gangsters and the Tunnel Rats. And they were outcasts because at that time, culturally, they didn't intersect because the stigma was they shouldn't intersect. That hip hop was was a completely different world. And in old time church talk, it was of the world. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, yes. it was it was a different world. It yes. it was uh, it was the world. Well, the things that hip hop still to this day primarily glorifies um, are the things that the scriptures have us uh, steer away from. Um, so it's kind of like. These are opposites, yeah. and, and not the opposites, the kind of opposites that attract. Yeah. Um, but what hip-hop is at its heart is a teaching tool. Hip-hop teaches culture how to dress, how to treat women, how to what car to drive, um, how to speak, slang, language, vernacular, all those things. So it's a tool of teaching. It's a language. It's a language, yeah. But... What, how you use the language, what's the message, on. depends on who's speaking, right? You listen to Jay-Z, and you're going to hear a lot about money, and um, now that he's getting older, financial literacy. You listen to Kanye West, you're going to hear a lot about Kanye West. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like right, right here, what, what, Ryan Woolsey's our guy on the side. He's, yeah. he's our tech master, uh, and he's pulling up stuff as we talk. I love it. What do you got there? So that these are the tunnel rats, and... They uh, were pioneers and martyrs in that uh, believers that rapped about their life. Uh, one of my old, one of my favorite preachers, Horace Shepherd Sr., before he passed, used to say, um, if you squeeze a tub of toothpaste, peanut butter isn't going to come out. <laughs> toothpaste is going to come out. Yeah, yeah. So I say that they were rapping about their life um, because what was in them came out in their music. Even if it was raw. Even if it was raw, even if it was raw uh, Jesus, even if it was raw things about their neighborhood, about um, how drugs are running rampant. They're, they're from Cali. Um, so, you know, Inglewood, LA, Crips, Bloods, all that stuff was coming out in their music, but it was filtered through faith. Mm -hmm. And at the time, there was not a sphere of understanding um, so it was xenophobia. Like, we don't know what that is. We don't understand it. So we're afraid of it. So we outcast it. Gotcha. Um, and I can say in 2021, Swoop does not exist without the Tunnel Rats. The Tunnel Rats never blew up. They never got famous. They never got awards. They never got Grammys. None of those things. But the lineage uh, is still very vibrant um, in the cats that are blowing up, like a Lecrae. Um, mm -hmm. Or or uh, Andy Mignot and things like y'all don't exist without the lane that the Tunnel Rats and the Gospel Gangsters they were pioneers paid. and martyrs and martyrs because so, they paid a price for it oh a big one how so in that they spent their life doing something that didn't improve their life mm -hmm. under the banner of this is authentic I'm passionate about it so I couldn't go work at Chick Fil A and not yeah, do yeah. this. They believed in it. They believed in it. And I know somebody is coming after. I know it. Yeah. I'm not the only person that it's feels It's not this wasted, way. but I'm not going to see... Moses. Yeah. yeah. It was like, all right, Joshua going to pop up at some point in time. You know, you, you early on in, you know, Leviticus and Numbers, Joshua wasn't necessarily a prominent figure. But as you keep going through the Torah, he starts to pop up more and more and more, especially when Moses is not, is prohibited from entering into the promised yeah. land. Yeah. What I love, uh, I, I'm, I'm in Deuteronomy now studying, what I love is Moses didn't take the route of bitterness. It was, all right, the Lord said I'm not going to the promised land, so I'm going to do my best to pass this baton mm -hmm. to you in confidence and make sure that you are able to grab it and run the race um, with confidence. Tunnel rats. They're the Moses of rap, of, of hip-hop, Christian hip-hop. No question. Them and the gospel gangsters, yes. Tell, let's go back to the beginning of hip-hop, though, mm -hmm. because it's a language. But it was a language that was 
originally utilized yeah. for messaging yeah. that you're not using. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the message is somewhat different, differentiated. But what? Tell me what you know about hip hop. It's our origination. I know it came out of uh, New York. Uh, the, yeah, out of the, the Bronx. Bronx. Yep. Uh huh. Bron- the Bronx and Brooklyn. And um, up front, it was a party tool and a mirror for the neighborhood. So. Um, the Sugar Hill Gang, um, hip hop, hip to the hip hip hop sounds like you know gibberish today. Yeah. That is the first recorded hip hop song, and it's all about dancing and partying and having fun. Nothing about it is vulgar in any way, shape, or form. But then, very shortly after, you get Grandmaster Flash, um, who's doing songs like The Message. Um, it's like, yo, don't push me because I'm close to the edge, and he's talking about the tension that exists. Um, in the projects and in the ghettos of the Bronx and Brooklyn and things like that, and almost the mania that an African-American male has to uh, exist in just to stay sane. So up front, it was about messaging and partying. Yep. And and gave voice. Yeah. It gave voice to people who just otherwise didn't know how to express or be heard. And started with, and still to this day, um, a technique called sampling, which is taking bits and pieces of Sugar Hill Gangs Up, I love it, taking bits and pieces of an already recorded song, chopping them up to make a different uh, loop, and then rapping over that. It's soul food. Soul food was originated from the masters ate the best parts of the animals back in slavery. The masters ate the best part of the animal and the not so great part of the animals the were cast left away. Over. Mm-hmm. And that's where we got collard greens and neck bones and black eyed peas. And you know, you take the starch and you get some water and a little, and you get cornbread and things like that. So we took the nothing and made everything out of it. Hip hop is the exact same thing. It was kind of like there is a um, aggression that exist in these neighborhoods that's not going to be expressed in a soulful ballad. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be expressed um, in Motown. It's not going to be expressed in those sort of... It's not of, going to be harmonies. No, <laughs> no, um, because that sort of aggression um, is raw. And stuff that's pushed away. Yeah. And the stuff that, to this day, America doesn't want to reckon with. So it's kind of like, ah, no, you can just keep giving me doo-wop and that would be great. We love this. Hip-hop was and still is the rebel genre. It's the rebellious genre because it's so honest about what's actually go- going on. Um, so it started there with partying and messaging. And to this day, it's the exact same thing. Whether it's been uh, shifted in a different way or distorted when you hear some of the negatives that have to do with uh, drug abuse or alcohol addiction or X, Y, and Z, it's framed in the concept uh, in the context of partying. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, we we going up at the club tonight. Are oh, we going to be at the function and X, Y, and Z? They're talking about a party. Yep. The messaging is still a, a huge thing as well. It's, it's either going to be about money or sex or you know a plethora of things. But I'm giving you the message. What both of them have in common is. This is what's actually going on. It's real life. Yes. It's my real life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You may be hearing it somewhere else and it's not your story, but it's this is where I am. And one of the, to, to piggyback off of that, one of the greatest compliments I would think for any hip hop artist is for a listener to say, not this was great, not you're a phenomenal rapper, not any, I think 
one of the greatest compliments is for a listener to say, huh, me too. I, I heard that. There's a commonality in your story. I've never met you. Yep. I've never been to your home. We've never had an actual conversation in real life. But there is a bridge in um, your story to my story that makes me say, me too. I'm connected. Connected. To yes. what you're saying. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep. yep. Which is how artists are able to tour. An artist from Atlanta can go to LA and pack out a you know, 10, 15, 20,000 seat venue because those people have said, me too. Yeah, but isn't there an audience for hip hop as you described it that is not a me too in the sense that all those arenas are not being filled by people who've lived in the hood. Right, right, right. <laughs> so, so there's there's something else going on there. Yeah, I, I think a lot of it is curiosity. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of it is um, the grass is greener. Like I, I, most of my fans are white. Yeah. Ain't sniff the inner city. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really great term. Yeah. They sniff it. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, but there's a curiosity in in seeing a life played out that you'll never live. It's almost like watching a movie, watching an well, action film. Is it, is it, I mean, there's a kind of cool vibe about it, though, too. Yeah. I mean, it's a cool thing. Yeah. I mean, that, that's part of the allure of a lot of things, isn't it, really, in yes. fashion and sport and on is It's the other yes. that is so cool and adventuresome. One of my favorite artists is Livingston Taylor, James Taylor's brother. <laughs> Why? Wait, James Taylor has a brother? Uh-huh. <laughs> Sorry, right, but right, I was right. that's it, isn't it? So I said the same thing. We we did a show in New York, um, and Livingston opened for us. I, I was playing in a musical, and I was like, "This cat sounds just like James Taylor. Like, why is he biting James Taylor like that?" And I was like, "This is brother, bro." Like, <laughs> uh, so I went and got his music, and I enjoy Livingston way more than I enjoy James. Either way, because what what's Livingston got that James doesn't? Uh. James, there, there we are. Yeah. So James's notoriety um, puts guardrails around his artistry. Once you get to a certain size, you have to start to please consumers. Yeah, yeah. James Taylor is one of the greatest songwriters that have ever, ever lived. So I'm not diminishing his creativity in any way, shape, or form. What I enjoy about Livingston is, as I listen from album to album to album to album, there is a pro- progression that doesn't have any guardrails. It just keeps yeah. growing. Yeah. He's he, experimenting. He's unchained. He yeah. doesn't really have any boundaries, and he can go where he wants. Mm-hmm. Yep. Livingston Taylor is probably the furthest from swoop as you can get. <laughs> in style. Yeah, yeah, in style, in appearance, in content, in sonics, in genre, in so many, th- in messaging, in so many things, yet and still, um, he has a song called uh, My Baby Don't Mind. When I listen to it, I know he's never met me and I know he's never met my wife Imani, yet this song makes me think of my wife Imani. So he's building these bridges through commonality. Okay. Me too. Yeah. You know, okay. so I think that is, those are the other people that fill the arenas yeah. uh, uh, of like, huh, even though nothing about us is the same, I still feel connected. I want to come back to hip hop in a minute, but this is just makes me want to know. So you, you swoop, hip hop artist, yeah. uh, like to listen to Livingston Taylor, James's brother. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so good. What else you got going in, in in your own personal taste, your your yeah. your playlist, what do you got? 
um, a lot of jazz, a lot of rap, a lot of gospel, and then sprinkle in everything else other than uh, heavy metal is one genre of music that I don't understand. I want to be able to appreciate it, but I don't understand it. So you'll hear Claude WC, who's an uh, old arranger, oh, yeah. orchestrator, <laughs> sure. um, or Andrew Lloyd Webber. Like, I adore the Phantom of the Opera. You could do the Broadway side. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Uh, or you'll do Ella Fitzgerald, or um, there's a phenomenal young artist I just discovered like a week ago named Lewis Cole, and he does... Uh, almost symphonic electronic music. So it's this blend that you would not expect a rapper to be. Mm -hmm. Um, But I didn't start as a rapper. I'm a musician. I'm a pianist at the core. Um, So chords and melody uh, and lyric draw me. And chords and melody are not the... That's not the stock of hip hop. Not at all. Yeah. You know, so... Do you ever listen to yourself? Uh, Is Swoop on the playlist... No. Here's no. why. And my family doesn't like this. In making an album, because I, I'm my produce, I produce all of my albums, all of my music. Um, in making an album, I hear the song from nothing to everything. So by the time a song is finished, I've probably heard it, no lie, 2,500 times mm-hmm. uh, in different capacities. So by the time it's finished, and I just released a single last Friday, and it's like, I probably don't ever want to hear that I'm song through. ever again. <laughs> yeah, I'm done. I'm done. Yeah. Um, so no, Swoop's not not on the playlist. Not at all. No. But you did start with a, a what I'll call a more conventional or classical approach to music. Yeah. And you've landed as a Christian hip hop artist. Right. We've talked a little bit about hip hop originated. Mm-hmm. How to tell me about your musical upbringing. And how that converged at hip-hop. I mean, how did you get from there to here? Yeah. But how did you grow up musically? My roots are gospel, like through and through. Like my roots are uh, old, sweaty mother in a hat (laughs) with uh, a tear in her stockings and white shoes with no heels, skirts below her knee, um, singing testimonials, hymns. Me too. Yes. So those are (laughs) my roots. I've been there. I've been there. You know, um, those those are my roots that I still use to this day. Um, We spoke earlier that there was my godfather, uh, Charles Myricks Jr. Ah, Chuck Myricks. Chuck Myricks. Ryan, you got a picture of Chuck. You got to pull him up. Um, So he uh, is, not was, is a phenomenal musician. Um, had a group named Divine Hope that traveled the world, uh, toured in Paris and so many other different things. Uh, was on the 700 Club, you know, when the 700 Club was a thing. Um, worked with Greg O'Quinn and Shirley Caesar and Kirk Franklin. Um, I remember walking into his office as a child, as I told you, and seeing platinum plaques on the wall. So he was a big deal. He was very quiet about it um, because it took me to grow to realize that that wasn't a random piece of vinyl that you dipped in yeah. silver. Yeah. You know. He didn't go down to Kmart and get that. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, and I only know because, uh, again, um, as I told you before we started, I just received my first platinum plaque yesterday. Mm-hmm. And opening that box, it didn't have anything to do with the song. It had everything to do with the work that took to get to this point. There's a million phenomenal songs. Not all of them sell millions mm-hmm. of you know uh, of units so either way my uncle chuck um 
when I was about 12 or 13, he just was intentional about um, taking what he knew and making sure I got it. So he literally taught me how to play the piano. He introduced me to Herbie Hancock and Chick Corea and Jaco Pastorius, Weather Report. That's the name of the group I was trying to think of. Um, he took me to see uh, the Carmina Burana opera, and I was just astounded um, about the volume, not even loudness, but the the bigness that could come out of instruments that weren't uh, a B3 Hammond organ, a drum set. Right. Yeah. He stretched your head around music and it's vast and it, it was that is a great word it was a literal stretch because my brain was exploding at the time um but when you stretch something out and then you let it go and it pops back it has a little bit more room mm -hmm. than when you had first stretched it yeah. out and he just took years and years of stretching 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 so now you know christian hip-hop artist swoop is effortlessly able to incorporate Drums and 808s, choirs, strings, and mandolins. It's like these are, should be in totally different boxes. But because of Uncle yeah. Chuck, yep. uh, I'm able to say like, nah, if I can cut the frequency here and do this, I can make sure that all of these get in. And we have a sort of gumbo that's never been tasted before. Um, so my roots are definitely gospel, but Charles Myricks Jr., um, introduced me to music. Well, is it, is it, if I got this right, that he would actually take you, uh, let's say after church on Sunday, yeah. and to the piano and start building chords with you. Without that, a doubt. Showing you how to, because he's a master of that. Mm -hmm. and, and helping you understand not just how it sounds and yeah. look at all this uh, diversity of style, yeah. but actually how you build that. Uncle Chuck taught me how to listen to music uh -huh. and not just hear it, but hey, do you, do you hear what the bass player is doing? So he's not doing much, but he's the foundation of the song. The drummer's keeping the pattern. The piano player is picking his spots. The singer, he taught me how to listen mm -hmm. to music. And in order to be able to produce great music, you have to have years of what John Mayer calls the chamber. You gotta spend years in the chamber of studying. You gotta study the greats. But if you don't know how to listen to it, you just press and play and vibing. Mm -hmm. If you're not listening to, like, man, Jimi Hendrix used four different distortion pedals in one solo. If you're not hearing those sort of things, you're not going to be able to pull off a solo like uh, John Mayer's Gravity solo. It's a perfect guitar solo. But he spent years in the chamber listening to and studying mm -hmm. the greats. Uh, and Uncle Chuck taught me how to listen to music, not just hear it. So I am not shy about you know, looking back and saying, I'm me today because of them then. Mm -hmm. And he's one of the, like, he sits very comfortably at the top of that list that I'm able to create the music that my listeners enjoy because of a man you'll never meet. Well, and also a background that nobody would imagine who wasn't in music. Right. Looking at one of your videos would never comprehend what you've just said. Yes. It's yeah. so amazing. I mean, really, it is amazing. Yeah. But then at some point or another, living in a world of uh, music in that definition, mm -hmm. you 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 started hearing hip hop or what? You just like you just picked it up because that's what they were doing at school or what? Uh, there's a young man. Well, he, he ain't young no more. <laughs> uh, Steve Fitzhugh, um, also out of the church guy. Uh, he came to rap at our church, and what I was captivated by wasn't his rapping. It was his storytelling. He told stories in rap and. 
with rap, you're able to say so much more than you can in regular songs because you don't have to depend on melody. It's just mm-hmm. like I can yeah. take these 16 bars and say so much more because I don't have to worry about notes. It's just all rhythm. It's all rhythm. Um, so he was able to tell a an extremely comprehensive song, I mean story, in a four and a half minute song that I wasn't getting from necessarily, mm-hmm. you know, other other things. Uh, so I was captivated by that, but not necessarily rap at the time. Because this is the same time frame that, you know, I'm getting introduced to Herbie Hancock and, and so many other people. Um, and I'm listening to Herbie paint on the piano with colors and things like that. I wasn't intrigued by rap. Fast forward a few years later. So interesting that I'm a Christian hip hop artist and I'm getting ready to say this. Uh, Eminem comes on the scene. Eminem is arguably one of the greatest rappers ever and also arguably one of the most vulgar rappers ever. Um, So God bless my mother. Uh, I had to sneak to listen. (laughs) (laughs) She wasn't a fan. No, not at all. (laughs) Not at all. Um, But again, it was the storytelling. Mm -hmm. But what he was able to do that Steve wasn't was there's a level of um, precision in his lyricism um, and rhyming that caught my ear. There he is. Uh-huh. Yep, yep. The Eminem. It was the Slim Shady LP. I don't recommend you go listen to it because it's <laughs> very vulgar. Um, but what it did for me was stretch. Mm-hmm. So that word you use with Uncle Chuck, it was a different level of stretching. Uh, and it made me just want to try. I want to make an attempt at this. And that attempt snowballed into a career. Um, what I felt was random for me was orchestrated. You know, before the foundations of time, you're not going to know when you sit down with Chuck at the piano at 15 that you're going to start rapping in about eight years. You have no clue. I'm guessing Chuck doesn't have that clue either. Not at all. <laughs> not at the time. There are, <laughs> I have almost two lives. There are people that only know me as a musician and have no clue that I rap. Most of the fans of my rap are floored. They are in awe. When I'll post a clip of me playing, they're like, wait, when did this start? I'm yeah, like, yeah. Like, like that's a new thing for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like 19 years ago, you know. Yeah. So, no, there's no way I could have saw it and Uncle Chuck could have saw it because these two worlds, there is no intersection. It, they, they don't coexist. Like, you're either in this world or you're in this world. Uh, and especially the Christian hip hop, like, that wasn't even a thing. Yeah. You it's, know, it's like an unknown. Yeah. Like going to Mars. In Precisely. A way. And, but, Eminem mm-hmm. piqued your curiosity or stretched you in a new way, mm-hmm. and you decide to experiment with it. Mm-hmm. And so, am I hearing you say that you just you just started like you know I'm going to give this a try? Yep. And you did that, and you thought, whoa, uh, I can do this legitimately. So it took yeah. it took a few years of just listening to uh, Eminem, uh, Lupe Fiasco, um, Jay Z, 2004. Kanye West put out his first album, The College Dropout. Uh, And that was the first time rap made me feel something. I still refer to that album as audio soul food, Mm -hmm. uh, where it was like, I'm hearing something, but I'm feeling it as well. It still took a few years for me to actually attempt. 2007, I'm kind of known around the city of Akron as um, the musician that can make beats for rappers. (laughs) So it's like, you know, most church cats, it's like they play church and that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, they either play church or they stop playing at church to go tour with an R&B artist or something like that. But rap, there there wasn't an intersection there at all. No crossover. No, not at all. 
Um, so that became my calling card. They're like, mm-hmm. yo, you know, little homie that play over at Arlington, he made his beats is cold too. Okay, cool. Uh, <laughs> a rapper was supposed to come to the studio, which was my mom's basement, um, and he didn't come. I had made probably like six or seven beats specifically for him. Like, this is his style. This is his pocket. I feel like he'll be able to float over these drums. He didn't come. I'm like, let me let me try my hand at it. So I wrote a song, you know, just kind of borrowing from being in that chamber with mm-hmm. Kanye mm-hmm. and Eminem and Lupe and X, Y, and Z. Like, this is probably how they would say X, Y, and Z. But I'm talking about my life. Um, yeah. so now I'm talking, but I'll do it in their style. Very first song I wrote was... Um, there's a problem. Yes, yes. Uh, it starts with, uh, it's spelled with three letters and it starts with an S. It is not sex. It's sin. So my first song was like, Hey, let's talk about a problem. So I'm doing it with their how, but I'm talking about my what and why. Mm-hmm. It was a joke. It was just kind of like, Oh yeah, I'll show this to them. And the homies will probably think it's funny or maybe someone will hear it and want to rap it better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought. I I played it for the homies the next day and they're like, who is this? I'm like, it's me. They're like, stop playing, bro. Like, who is this? I'm like, it's me. It took me about an hour to convince them that it was actually me rapping because they felt that it was so good. And they're like, yes, yeah. you've never rapped a day in your life, which was true. And they're like, this is a very well put together. So I'm like, ah, oh, y'all just, y'all yanking my chain or whatever. I showed it to Reverend Fowler at the time, my pastor. And he said, we sat in his, his Mercedes Benz, I'll never forget. He said, I don't know if, if the rapping is good. I know the message is phenomenal. Make some more. Hmm. So I was like, all right, I, I trust this man with my life. Like, if he says jump off a cliff, that's because he knows it's a trampoline at the bottom of the ravine. <laughs> um, so I went and made 13 more. And those 14 songs became my first album. Wow. And... It was a hobby. It was like, yeah, I, I did this as a gift to my pastor, but playing is my life. Mm-hmm. That's so, what you imagined would be your future. You know, a man has plans in his heart, but it's the purpose of the Lord that prevails. So I had my own plans. But God was like, yeah, I'm going to get you where I want you to be. Did, did you see yourself then? I'm, I'm guessing you're in your late teens or early 20s or something yeah, at this early stage. early 20s. Did you see yourself for a lifetime as a musician, as opposed to, I'm going to be a dentist someday. Or I mean, you didn't have other musician. career musician. passions. I have a photo of my eighth grade yearbook, um, superlatives, best dress, da-da-da-da. Yeah, yeah. And then what do you want to be? Music producer. Mm-hmm. It was around sixth grade that I knew music was what I wanted to do. At the time, I was just playing the saxophone. But it was like, I like being in this band. Mm-hmm. Then I started playing. So it was it was a very clear trajectory. Yeah. No doubt about that. No. I just didn't know the genre that yeah. I was yeah. that I was going to be in. Um so with the album, I'm 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 moved from 2007 to 2009 uh cuz it took that long to make the all album. The, I, had, tracks. I had never done a rap <laughs> yeah. album before, yeah. you know. Yeah. And I'm like, "All right, I'll, I'll do this for 6 months. I'll I'll do it around the city at different churches for 6 months." And then we're going to let this go because this is taking away from what I actually want to do. Uh, I'm going to spell out the dominoes to get to the big name is Lecrae, but he's the last domino. It took so many people that came to my album release concert 
the street pastor bought a CD. He handed it to Catalyst. Catalyst handed it to Shobaraka. Shobaraka handled it, handed it to Tadashi, and Tadashi handed it to Lecrae and said, "Y'all, y'all need to do something with this kid. Like he's the real deal." They weren't signing artists on Lecrae's label right now, so Lecrae's best friend, Adam Thomason, was starting a record label called Collision Records. And Cray was like, I think this should be your first artist. And that snowballed into, you know, it's 11 years later now from 2010. Yes. There's that Lecrae. That's that head there. <laughs> that's, that's, that's my dog right there. I love him. I literally don't have a career without him. Yeah. Um, without him saying, he could have been selfish and saying like, I'm not going to do anything with this kid, but I'm not going to pass him off to anybody sure, that can. Sure, sure. He handed it over, and um, I signed my first record deal in 2010. And since then, rap has been my everyday. It took me until 2012 to realize that. But 2010 was the start of like, oh, no, this is a real career. And that all came out of experimenting. And exploring out of a joke in 2007 and saying, like, well, let me just try. It was, it, it truly, if you didn't believe there was a God, it was just a random Very joke. random. Yeah. Very random. But you're looking at it as, no, there's, there's something at work here beyond me mm -hmm. and has positioned me where mm -hmm. I am. And what I saw with the first album was, oh, people are really listening to the things that I have to say. Um, and I watched... Uh, Pastor Fowler, I watched my mom, I watched uh, Uncle Horace, I watched so many people use words to impact lives. I watched it, so I'm like, if people are actually listening to the things that I have to say, I cannot trifle over this uh, and make this kind of an ancillary sort of thing. Uh, and when that level of intentionality came, it was like, all right, I'll do another church, I'll do another church, I'll do another church, I'll do another church, record deal. Um, so it came from me seeing that people were actually like hanging on every word because this is the same message. This is the same right. Jesus, but it is delivered in a much different package. That's a language. Mm -hmm. Again, a different language. Mm -hmm. That's intriguing. Um, that makes me curious. Or what I also found was it connected in, a, in such a different way mm -hmm. than Sunday morning music was. It was like I was in cars with the homies playing Jay-Z and then putting my stuff on. It's like, what? <laughs> because the, the the guys in the car with you are listening to both lyrics. Yeah. Uh, and yes. And they're going in different directions. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, but we've talked about Sunday morning. We've talked about Uncle Chuck, yeah. your, your mom, and so on. Obviously, you grew up in a world where church was a was a thing. I mean, the your thing. family was yeah. in it. Uh -huh. Your mom was a pastor. Mm -hmm. uh, she was a preacher. Mm -hmm. She was a communicator. Uh, to my knowledge, she was not a rap artist, <laughs> but she knew she nah. knew how to drive the, the word home, so to speak. For sure. And uh, I know that she started a school mm -hmm. at your local church. Did you go to that school? I did. Yep. So like, it's a K to 12 or? K to 8. K to 8. Yep. And you did all of it. Uh, all of it. Was she the principal at that time? Yes. <laughs> all right. So, so I would get in trouble in the principal's office. <laughs> And when I got I, home. I do a reprise. <laughs> yes. when got like, home. you just said this four hours ago. <laughs> Chill out. <laughs> and so, uh, and your mom and dad both have been a great home, that's my guess, yes. for yes. you and your siblings. Yes. But talk to me about that church trip. Yeah. Uh, because I'm going to guess I've been a pastor. Mm -hmm. I have four sons. 
they would have stories to tell about the upside and the downside yeah. of living in the fishbowl, of just the, it's a little different role. That's yeah. your, I mean, you grew up as a pastor's kid. Yep. Tell me about it. I lived at the church. Sunday morning service, obviously Monday through Friday, school. But then also you got Wednesday night Bible study, Thursday choir rehearsal, you know, events on Friday, another rehearsal on Saturday. So I lived at the church um, and I formed my family there. My, my closest friends, a lot of them to this day, started there. So the route that most preacher's kids that I knew at that time took was to do everything that they could to say, I'm not with them. So I'm going out and I'm doing everything to, mm-hmm. you know. Individuate, separate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Even if these things are, you know, damaging to my life and health and character and reputation mm-hmm. and things like that, it gets the point across of I'm not with them. I was the exact opposite. It was like, I'm definitely with them. <laughs> like, I, I love everything about, yes, it's annoying that, you know, I'm not at home in front of a video game. I'm trying to figure out how to come up with a creative game with my siblings in the pews. Like, that's annoying, you know, as a child. Um, But what it did was it it allowed me to fall in love um, with Christ's body. So before I fell in love with Jesus, I was in love with his people. Um, So the story of fishbowl, yes, um, you are always on. You know, my mom carried a, a heavy name still to this day in the city. So if I'm going anywhere that's not associated with Arlington, people know the name Swoop. Arlington's the name of the church. The name of the church, yeah. Yep, yep. People know the name Swoop, so it's like, you don't have the luxury of acting up. You know, you don't have that. You know, you don't get the chance that other people get because there's notoriety attached to your name. Um, it was just modus operandi, honestly. It was a part of the game. It wasn't something that I had to unlearn. It was just kind of like, you know, the scriptures are true. A good name is worth more than rubies. And not only is that true, but I'm not trying to, I love my mom. I'm not trying to, you know, mess up her name and her rep that, you know, yeah, she's right. built. You, you had a sense that what I do matters to others. And it was helpful that I actually enjoyed being with these people. Yeah. Um, I think if I didn't enjoy that, I probably would have made some, some different <laughs> sure, choices. Sure. Um, it came to a head, however, uh, with career trajectory. As a young man. As a young man, yeah. You know, singer, musician, uh, pastor, it's like, that's probably where Swoop is going to end up. That's, you know, we're, we're seeing him. He acts and speaks very much like his mother. Um, he, he loves the scriptures. He's playing the piano. Um, he loves being around the music and X, Y, and Z. We could see him, you know, in these capacities in the next however many years. It makes years. so much sense. yeah. And it was convenient as well, which is one of the things that, you know, I had to wrestle with where I was like, man, convenience does not dictate how, what I should do. It's like, just because it works doesn't mean that it's right. Right. There was not space for me as a rapper. There wasn't space for me in that fishbowl. There was space as a, a preacher. There was space as a, uh, musician and things like that. But as a rapper, it was kind of like, we don't. There's no room in this house where we do that. We don't even know that this exists first. We don't actually want to know. Yeah, because <laughs> the Christian hip-hop thing wasn't a, a huge deal at the time. Yeah, yeah. So hip-hop um, is kind of like, no, are you crazy? Yeah. You know. Um, so there wasn't space for me to spread my wings, but 
it was happening whether I wanted it to or not. You know, it was this passion of like, I, I want to write. I want to tell stories. I want to teach people. And this is a great tool of teaching, but I can't do it with, you know, the family that I've built. You know, they know me as a musician. Right. You know, and they're utilizing me in a in a very heavy capacity, a lot of responsibility as I grew. Um, so I started to develop two worlds where it was kind of like, as I told you earlier, there are people that know me as a musician to this day have no clue that I rap. Like there were people calling my mom. Um, I did a commercial that, that we spoke about. Like, I just saw your son rapping in a commercial. <laughs> What, when did that happen? She was What's like, that about? <laughs> like, you've been rapping for a decade. Where you been at? They had no clue. Yeah. And there are a lot of my fans that also have no clue because at around 18 or 19, I had to make a very clear separation. I'm not giving up on either one of these things. I, I still play at church on every Sunday to this day. I still rap. I can't do these together right now. I do want to figure out a way to bring them together. And I think that's where we are now. But at that time, it was kind of like, I got to be able to do both. And in order to do both, both, I have to separate from the fishbowl. I got to step outside of the fishbowl. This is what I know. This is my life. This has built me. And it has also prepared me to step away, to step away and not lose my character, step away and not lose my right, faith, right. step away and maintain my it name. It still defined you For in sure. some important ways. Those roots grew deep. And they're still there. They're still there, without a question. Um, there just needs to be a little bit of distance. That's and actually, um, as I'm listening to you, Swoop, you actually do have a lot of that pastor thing going on in you in the sense that you are committed to messaging. You're committed yes. to taking ideas that you consider to be truth yeah. and making sure they sink in. Yeah. You're using a different language, and you're actually speaking to maybe a different audience. Maybe you're called to pastor in a way, but it's a completely different audience uh, <laughs> than the one that you grew up with. I mean, is that fair? Oh, yeah, 100%. <clears throat> and, and truth be told, people are the same no matter where they are mm -hmm. uh, in, in the musical genre. Mm -hmm. And I hear you say, someday maybe, someday there's a way that these two audiences actually come together mm -hmm. and hear this message. Yeah, without, a, without question. And... I don't want to say that I did that. I benefited from <clears throat> the blows that Lecrae took or the truth took or Kirk Franklin took because Kirk Franklin has a ton of hip hop in his music, yet it's still authentically gospel. Um, so I, I didn't do this on my own. I definitely am still a part of the merging um, because the message is the most important thing for me. It's like, yo... You know, all men are as grass and their glory as the flowers of the field. Like the grass is going to go away. The flowers is going to fade. It's the word of the Lord that stands forever. Um, I draw from a lot of different sources, uh, theologians, the scriptures, X, Y, and Z, rappers as well. And, and Jay-Z, uh, who I've referenced a few different times in this interview, is a prolific speaker. He says 50 things in 12 words. And he did an interview with, um, I believe, the Washington Post a few years ago. Uh, I could be wrong on that. Um, but he said, I'm the rapper that walks into the room and says, I want to be the Mona Lisa. <laughs> and I was like, what? What are you talking about? He was like, the Mona Lisa was created so long ago, yet still today, it's still one of the most uh, reverenced 
pieces of Still art. Still speaks. It, he, he said, I want to play forever. And that's where I am. I'm like, I want to last. I don't want to be flashing the pan. And I know that Swoop, in and of himself, isn't going to last. Every human being has their 15 seconds you know, of fame. They have their lifespan. And your lifespan may... Uh, outlast you for you know a certain amount of time but it's not gonna be forever what's forever because i want to attach myself to that the grass will wither the flowers will fade but the word of the lord is forever so how do i take this forever and make sure it translates because the homies is not they're not trying to hear pulpit talk they're not trying to hear you know mahalia jackson they're not trying to hear kirk franklin the homies want to hear beats, they want to hear samples, they want to hear rhymes, the cadence is X, Y, and Z. So I'm like, I'm almost on a you know covert mission to sneak the yeah, gospel, yeah. you know, to an audience that wouldn't accept it at face value. Right. Um, on the set of the commercial, Giannis went and listened to the song during a break, and he came back and asked me, "Is this about God?" And I'm like, "Mission accomplished." Yeah. I just want to be an arrow. I want to point you to something. I want to be a light. Like, sure, every now and again you'll walk in a room and be like, man, these lights is fly. But what the lights help me see is everything else in the room. They help me see Jim. They help me see the table. They help me see the microphone, X, Y, and Z. The lights help me see my way so I can navigate my way through this room. I just want to be a light. So I can talk about the light or I can talk about what the light helps me see. And what I'm trying to help people see is Jesus. Well, and you're also... You've described a long journey with hip hop uh, in our culture. Yeah, yeah. And there are still people today who would say hip hop—that is the devil's business. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, they've got no time for that. Mm -hmm. You say rap—that is a dead end. Mm -hmm. And I'm hearing you say, I think it doesn't matter what it is; it's a vehicle, and it can be redeemed. And where you drive it may be different than where someone else drives it. Yep. But I'm driving it this way, and it's got merit. It's—it has legs. Yep. Because I'm driving it to a right place. Yes. I think to place finality on anything, uh, uh, the characteristics <laughs> of anything undermines God. Because at a certain point in time, what we know as the cross, we see the cross as redemptive. We see resurrection. We see X, Y, and Z. That was a tool of torture. So... If at that yeah, time people yeah. would have said like, nah, man, we not we don't bang with the cross. It's like, what? Where would we be today? Uh, another uh, uh, story in the Bible, Peter, go eat that. And Peter's like, nah, that's, that's dirty. That's not clean. And God says to Peter, what I've called clean, you don't call unclean. So knowing that, it's like nothing is beyond redemption. Nothing. Even a genre of music that has spent decades glorifying things that are anti-God. It can and has been in certain capacities, I'm proof of it, be redeemed to the glory of the Lord. And redeeming others by it. And there's another dimension. Is that your embrace of this, or what I'll call your anointing for this, mm. is actually speaking a language of the future. Mm. I mean, you're, you're talking not just to today's pop culture in hip-hop. Yeah. You're, you're speaking a language that will live way past some other forms that may have a chapter closed. Mm -hmm. In other words, hip-hop is not just something that's in the minute. 
this is not a fad anymore. People oh, no. may have thought it was once. Oh no. It's not. No. I mean, tell me about Lecrae. So yeah. Lecrae, you're, you're giving him the tip of the hat saying, I, I would not be here in my professional career right. without him. Mm-hmm. And of course he has also in a way pioneered uh, a, a path yes. for merging content mm-hmm. that is heaven honoring mm-hmm. uh, with this genre. Tell me about Lecrae. I mean, so give me one good thing about him besides his talent as mm-hmm. a person. Mm-hmm. What should the world know about him? Uh, he's a culture nerd. He studies culture, which is how he's able to engage with it um, with such emphasis and precision. Um, I mean, reading, movies, uh, music, um, podcasts, all of those things. Cray is always like this. Yeah. So the road to restoration. That picture in the back. I mean, behind that, I'm maybe ten feet behind him playing the keyboard. I've been touring with Lecrae for about maybe about six or seven years here, um, and watching him navigate fame and faith um, is the pioneering uh, um, legacy that I think he'll leave behind. There had never been a Christian hip. The platinum plaque I got yesterday was for writing on a Lecrae song. Yeah. There had never been a Christian hip hop artist that went platinum, gold. He's got four Grammys. I won one with him. So it's kind of like there are things that your favorite rapper's favorite rapper hasn't done that he did. He's done it. All in the name of Christ. Yep. So there's a legacy there. There's a, a pioneering venture there that literally has never been done before. You know, he, he, for all intents and purposes right now, is at the apex of the genre of Christian hip-hop. He's at the top of the mountain. Not from the standpoint of him, him being untouchable. He is one of the realest person people I know. Yeah. Um, our wives do Bible study every, I mean... Yes, every Monday. I was going to say Wednesday. Our kids love each other. He's a regular guy, so I don't want to make it seem like he's this untouchable character. But he he is in rooms with uh, Jay-Z and Meek Mill and, and S1 and Beyonce and X, Y, and Z. He's in those rooms, um, and he's not changing who he is. And he's respected. When they think Christian rap, they think one person. Which there's pros and cons to that. But the big pro is people know what you're about. Like they don't have to guess like, oh yeah, I've been hearing about this Lecrae cat. Who, what, what, what's his story? What's his stick? What's his spiel? It's kind of like, nah, he's, he's about Jesus. And that either makes me want to do something with him or makes me want to stay far away from him. And it's kind of like, yeah, that's John 15. Like Christ is like, yo, they're going to hate you because they hated me. It works both ways. It works both ways. Um, but yeah, I think if there was one thing I could say about him is he's he's a culture nerd. Uh, he's an extremely benevolent person, and he's not loud about it. It's not going to be on his social media platforms. He's not going to shout it, you know. On, but you know, he has a generous spirit. Oh my gosh! There was a point in time my wife and I had and family had just moved to Atlanta, been there for about maybe a year and a half. Um, 2015 and 2016 were easily the two hardest years of my life. And I was at his house and, you know, we were just chopping it up. And I'm like, man, I don't think I can do this. Like, I don't think I can sustain financially, you know, a life in Atlanta. This is so much bigger and faster and more expensive uh, than Akron, Ohio, you know, 
I know everybody in Akron. I know it's like I don't know anybody. I'm a swoop. Yeah, you know. <laughs> so he was like, "Man, don't worry about it. You'll be taken care of." And I'm like, "That's what you're supposed to say." Blah 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 blah. I'm like, "We we're probably going to move back to Akron." You gave me the cliche answer, or whatever. Da, da, da. So we finished the night, watched a movie, ate dinner or whatever. And um, on the way out the door, he daps me up and gives me a hug. And he squeezes my hand as he daps me up to let me know, like, yo, it's something in my hand. So I'm like, you doing this on the sneak? Because it wasn't a like, hey, Swoop, I want to give this to you sure. in front of everybody. So I just slid yeah. it in my back pocket. I'm like, I appreciate you, bro, and went home. The amount of money that he gave me on a whim kept us in Atlanta. So the career opportunities that I was afforded in Atlanta was because I was still living in Atlanta. Yeah. I was still living in Atlanta because of Lecrae Moore. And a very quiet, here, I want to give, I want to help, I want to aid, I want to progress. And he didn't need any thanks, he didn't need accolades, yeah. he didn't need That's gratitude. Just, just who he is. That's who he is. And likely you're not the only story like that. Not at all. I know, I know I'm not. Yeah. But obviously my story hits me. Well, yeah, you I know. mean, that's positive right there. For sure. Okay, so you're hanging out with Lecrae. Your, your career is on the upswing. Mm. You, you're, you are yourself in your own right now, mm -hmm. carving space out as that Christian hip-hop guy. Yeah. And actually, even in a larger venue, uh, venue, a larger audience is mm. recognizing, even if they're not Christian, yeah. the power and the skill and the talent you have. But for all that, I know you've you've released some stuff that suggested it's not always an easy ride because again, the hip hop is talking honestly, yep. authentically out yep. of where you are. Yep. Is is there a is there a particular uh, piece that you've done, a track you've produced that gives us an insight of that that we can kind of unpack? So I just said 2015 and 2016 were the hardest years of my life, uh, and in 2017 I released a song called Lambo that. Um, referenced I couldn't give in detail I couldn't put two years into a you know a four minute song yeah. but the hook of Lambo says uh money can't buy happiness but I wouldn't mind crying in a Lambo because it's kind of like man I know money would fix a lot of the problems that I have right now but I also know it wouldn't make me happy but I wouldn't mind being <laughs> sad let me give it a try <laughs> <laughs> you know um I I, I reference Broken relationships with my siblings. I reference my mom's cancer. I reference um, government assistance. We were on government assistance at that time. I referenced um, Postmates being uh, the most luxurious experience ever because what Postmates was for us was we have money to eat outside of the house. Like not just, hey babe, can you get the the you know the can of beans and try to you know scrounge up some cornbread? Because that's where our life was at that time. It was very. I left my safety net of Akron, Ohio. I intentionally wasn't asking my parents for money. It's like I have to figure out how to be a man when I move to Atlanta. I want to be my own man, and it was hard because I had always had multiple safety nets. That's right. So 2015 and 2016 were, I mean, difficult. I, I referenced the story in that song. Uh, of eating at a homeless shelter because I was doing a gig in in Baltimore um, and I had royalty checks in my book bag that I couldn't cash because I was out of town. Crazy overdraft in my bank account and I'm like, I got to perform later tonight and I haven't eaten since yesterday. Maybe I should just run up. That's where my life was. And and you're describing not just in that, not just I don't have money for dinner tonight. Yeah. 
but my mom has cancer and I have stress with my extended family. Yes. I mean, I mean, there's so many things converging there. Yes. You know, let's take a look at that. Yeah. Uh, Ryan, let's pull that up. Let's take a taste of Lambo. This is from 2017 Swoop. Money came by happiness, but I wouldn't mind crying in a Lambo. I know he got a plan for me. Honestly, I don't understand. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I wouldn't mind crying in a Lambo. Yeah, 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 yeah. I wouldn't mind crying in a. Sometimes I'm honest, sometimes I'm acting. Feel like a banker, gotta find a balance. Cause my life is like I'm sitting at the SPs. Everybody here balling except me. I'm, I'm just trying to keep my fan cast up. Trying not to get jealous when the range passes. You know, everybody in Atlanta got a nice one. Ask me how I'm doing, I'm just trying to keep the lights on. Said I have it all together by 25, but 25 came and went, 28 came and went. Still a way to pay the rent. Two years later, what have I done? I guess time flies trying to find funds Never did I ever Think I'd be and be more eating dinner at a shelter They gave me my meal with a gospel track How I'm supposed to feel when I gospel rap I can't even feel where my God is at that Money can't buy happiness But I wouldn't mind crying in a Lambo I know you got a plan for me But honestly it's something I don't understand, oh until God is enough, nothing else will ever be. I burnt a lot of bridges screwing up. That's Are you in a watch. Lambo? No. <laughs> oh, no, in that clip. That's tough. Oh, oh, in that clip, yes. In that clip, you're driving a Lamborghini. In the hood of Atlanta. <laughs> and uh, Turn some heads, did that little uh, production? So we had to go rent the car. Um, I remember pulling up to my uh, development and I had to stop at a at a red light, and it was like alley cats, like just spilled out. Like people yeah. just started to turn their head because like every rapper passes through Atlanta, so they're like, "Who is this? <laughs> Which one is that?" Yeah, and like, "Oh, that's Swoop." They know me in, in my hood. Yeah. That's Swoop. He drives a Kia Sedona, <laughs> and that's not that. So what I also felt was probably about to happen was calls were going to be made. Like, yo, he down here. He down here in a whip whip. Like, go grab the fellas. Like, I'm like, nah, I think this might be my last day on earth if I don't, if I don't get up out of here. It was very nerve wracking. You could feel the tension. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because it's like, yeah, we could do something with you and that car is worth six figures. Yep. And <clears throat> we, we can live without you, but that'll take us a d or down the road. Yeah, and gotcha. this neighborhood... You probably in the same predicament I am, trying to figure out how you're going to pay the rent, trying to figure out where dinner is coming from. And you driving around in a six-figure car, I'll be right back. <laughs> so it, was, it was tough. But, but that cut, that yeah. Lambo cut, really, it's so powerful. Mm, thank you. Uh, so, I, mean, I, I mean, I just got into it. And, and actually, your setup helped me mm. appreciate. Again, it's not... It was a real story. It was not like some yarn that was being spun. Not you talked about, I went to the homeless shelter to eat. Mm -hmm. I'd love to give this a try. Mm -hmm. A little shot on the gold wristwatch. <laughs> uh, it, it was really good. And, and I'm, yeah. I guess 
you've had some bouts with when the world is crashing in. Yeah. Depression or, or how do I manage? How do I survive? How yes. do I navigate yes. in a world that is so often chaotic and that's beyond my control? Mm -hmm. uh, would you say you've experienced some depression? Because it comes through in some of your lyrics oh, in a period. Oh, yeah. I was hesitant to um, say that because uh, I got a couple homies um, that are clinically depressed. Um, so it's like this is a life bout mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. you. This was two years for me. Now, I mean, two difficult years, but I, I can't compare my two to their 30, their 35, X, Y, and Z. So I was hesitant to say that. But, you know, after four or five months of every day waking up and saying, why am I here? Like, I'm not doing anything right. My family would be much better without me. It's like, I'm depressed. Like, and, this is I mean, is that, is. if I was doing things right, then yeah. it wouldn't be like this. I mean, that's kind of the calculus. I'm the problem. And, and because it's not, it doesn't seem right to me, I must not be doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. or, or in right standing with God or mm -hmm. just all of those thoughts that compound day to day to day to day to day if you're not counteracting them um, with things that have been stigmatized in my community like therapy um, or, or, or even just discussing it. It's kind of like, you know, there's a, there's a running, you know, cliche, black people don't need therapy. They got gospel music and grandmothers. <laughs> And it's kind of like, yeah, but, you know, I've listened to my fair share of choir songs and I've had um, plenty of cornbread and macaroni and cheese and I can't get this dark cloud to stop following me around. So what you just said to me or what you've been saying to me, culture, for years, it can't be true. The idea that, that talking about mental health mm -hmm. and emotional health mm -hmm. is somehow stigmatized or it's it's pushed to the side in black culture that's oh, what you're yeah. telling me oh yeah it's seen as uh weak um uh, it's seen as ancillary unnecessary um and not for us um uh, and i would argue that african americans um have a deep-seated need to discuss mental health a deep-seated need um for uh therapy and things like that uh because of the compounded trauma you know since the history six, the history like since we set foot here off of the boats in 1619 against our will it has been daily trauma so you gotta think that's you know 400 plus years and the trauma carries through lineage when it's unprocessed it's handed down it's in a way, down. subliminally yeah. and subconsciously even through those little cliches like oh no you don't need therapy that's your trauma talking that's your ego talking you are, and, and the ego is not just about arrogance. The ego is actually there to protect us mm -hmm. from pain. And the pain of having to peel back the layers of family trauma, church hurt, uh, racism trauma, and all those things. It's just too painful for certain people. So their ego speaks up and says, no, we don't, black people don't do therapy. And I believed that for a while. And it was kind of like... The only other option outside of discussing this, um, either with my, my safe spaces, my trusted community, a therapist, X, Y, and Z, um, and, and filtering that with God, the only other option is suicide, because this is unbearable. I can't go on like this. I cannot. Would you say that's a signature of, of a depression? I mean, if someone was listening today thinking, oh, I don't know, I have day, everybody's got days where I feel like yeah. uh, this is a mess up. But actually, would you say that's where you were like, I'm at a point where I cannot go on this way. Mm -hmm. This is going to be fixed or I'm out. It was the monotony. It was like Groundhog Day. Because, yeah, 
still have days. Everybody does, you know, good days, bad days, medium days or whatever. But it was like, this has been a few months straight. Every day. Of bad days. Um, and it came to a head uh, on my birthday in 2015, where it was like, now nah, I'm, I'm supposed to be living it up today, celebrating life, and I can't get out the bed. Like, my wife was like just down, almost in tears, because... Oh, we thought of all days, this would be the day that you would take 24 hours to snap out of it. And the thing is, I wanted to. Like, if I could snap out, I don't want to be stuck in this bed, you know, with the blinds closed, covers over my head and <laughs> negating the shower, all those things. It's like, I, I would much rather be up, you know, fresh, dressed out, partying, whatever, to celebrate another year of life in America as a black man. I couldn't even get out the bed. And that was the wake up call of like, this is not just random there's something going on here yes it's bigger than just the moment and it lasted after that day for over another year and a half what did you do i decided to throw nonsensical cliches away and do the work and the work started with safe conversations so before i could you know do ego work or you know processing old trauma for it was just like I need a place where I can just talk and I might say something wild that may that may come about because I'm not me right now like I'm a different person than the person that I've known you know from 1986 to 2015 I I don't know who this guy is and he may say something crazy I need to be safe I need to know that I'm loved that you can look past you know, eat the meat and spit out the bones. And it started with those conversations with my wife, uh, with my pastor, with a lot of my homies. Uh, and people pointing me to like, man, there were some people that didn't, people have a tough time sitting in gray spaces, sitting in the muck. You know, it's, it's much easier to say like, oh, I'll pray for you and walk away. Uh, it's much, e much easier to send you to somebody else, but to actually sit with you through uncertainty. Um, through gray. And people have a tough time with that. And there were close people that I still love to this day that were like, uh, you're probably just bipolar. You should just get some medicine and you'll be fine. And it's like, hey, that is probably one of the most disrespectful uh, sentences to people that actually deal with that specific mental yeah, right, health right. issue. Because for them, it's not a throwaway thing. This is a daily actual battle. It's not something that I chose. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But then there were also other people that were like, I'm with you, bro, till the wheels fall off. So if this lasts for another two weeks or if it lasts for another 20 years, I'm going to be sitting right here with you. And those were the, the, the forming, the beginning forming conversations that led to peeling back, you know, to childhood trauma. Uh, I'm an Enneagram guy and uh, I, I read a book um, and the author said... Most people don't know that they're not in the driver's seat of their life. Trauma's driving the car. And if they do know trauma is driving the car, they think they're in the passenger seat. So every now and again, you can grab the wheel and be like, no, 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 we're going this way. <laughs> trauma's driving the car and you are tied up in the trunk. You have no clue where trauma is taking you and you have no control over it either. And most, most of that trauma is childhood trauma. So it took me like navigating through the years 2015 and 2016 and going back to 
why am I? So these things are happening. These mm-hmm. events are mm-hmm. happening. Why am I responding? That's right. This the, way? the why questions. Yes. Why am I reacting this way? Mm-hmm. And gauging my response helped me unveil and discover, like, oh, this is the root issue. And you, the root issue for me, insecurity and lack of validation. Which, if you were to listen to my story up until this point in the podcast, like, no, you, you had the name. <laughs> you had it together. You were the musician. You turned into the rapper. You were hobnobbing with, you know, Lecrae and X, Y, and Z. You had all the validation in the world. It didn't come from the person that I needed it to come from and to spare their reputation. Um, we, we won't talk about who that is, but I'm still looking to them to this day like, I want a Grammy. You, you see it? Yeah. I got, I got a platinum plaque. To but eat. you were able to discover that. And because when it made sense, yes. then you can manage it. Jay-Z, again, I've referenced him a million times. I promise I believe in Jesus way more than I do Jay-Z. <laughs> um, he did an album called 444. Uh, he he uh, stepped out on his wife and made an, a very honest album. And one of the songs he says, uh, he's apologizing to Beyonce. He says, you can't heal what you don't reveal. So until you uncover it, you can't do nothing with it. It's just there festering. It's the elephant in the room that everybody sees and walks around as opposed to like, how do we get Dumbo out of the living room? I can't see the TV. He got to go. <laughs> you know, you can't heal what you don't reveal. So it wasn't until I discovered what was, you know, I had to dig through the dirt and like, oh, this is what's underneath everything. Now I can do the work on the roots. I tell my children all the time, roots determine fruit. Like you got bad roots, your fruit going to be right. It's just, it just is what it is. You cannot have great fruit and your roots are all over the place. So I was able to reveal my roots and start the healing process from there. So now in 2021, a lot of the fruit that people see came from, I mean, extremely tear-filled, difficult, hard, naked, transparent, and safe conversations in 2015 and 2016. It's a fascinating, uh, you can't heal what you don't reveal on the screen from Jay-Z is a great line. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's fascinating that we've been talking a lot about hip hop and how it's so naked and raw and authentic. Yeah. And you found yourself in a box where you weren't sure how to be real and authentic and yes. uh, naked in unpacking your own past. Yeah. And my guess is that also now, having walked through that journey of depression and doing the hard work, I, I yeah. really uh, respect and appreciate what you said, Swoop, about just, I did the work. Yeah. It's not like a snap of a finger. You did the work that has to inform what you're saying now mm-hmm. in hip hop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When uh, uh, Paul says, I, I've learned the secret of life, he talks about the high points and the low points. I choose to interpret that and believe that the low points probably informed you way more than the high points. There's certain things that you learn in the valley that make you appreciate the mountaintop, but you couldn't learn them without being in the valley. Um, So the joy, the confidence, the certainty, the precision that I rap with and speak with now was birthed out of something that I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. I would wish what came out of it, the yep. knowledge, the peace, um, the contentment. Kind of a wholeness. Yeah, yeah. In, in the song uh, Lambo, the post, the, the post chorus says, um, until God is enough, nothing else will ever be. 
because at that time, it was like, all right, most things have been snatched from me. So I was trying to find joy in um, pornography. I was trying to find joy in uh, food. I was trying to, it was kind of like, nah, like everlasting joy is found in one place and specifically in one person. And until God is enough for you, until you are content with you and Christ, nothing else is going to fulfill you. Like all of the financial problems, all of the uh, professional problems I had split from my record label at that time, those could be fixed tomorrow. And if you are not content with you and, and Jesus, you are still going to be unfulfilled. You're still going to have these questions of like, why isn't this enough? Jim Carrey says, I wish people could get everything they ever wished for so that they could see it ain't enough. I wish you could have all the money in the world, all the fame in the world, all the notoriety in the world. And this is multi-millionaire, you know, probably one of the greatest comedians of all time, phenomenal actor, Jim Carrey saying, and I don't even know if Jim's a believer, saying, this ain't enough. So me is like, all right, if that isn't what is and is found in the person of Jesus, and until God is enough, nothing else will ever be. So not only did I do the work, I'm still doing the work. Yeah. That's a journey. It's, it's a, a life, yeah, lifetime. Yeah. So, but hey, man, I just have to say, sorry, you got that preaching thing going. <laughs> and it's working right here, even without a beat. But I know that in hip hop, you can deliver. Uh, you're, you're a guy who is on the cusp. You're, you're on the edge of the pulse of our time. Mm. I mean, that's hip hop is that. It's, mm -hmm. it's a, a, a cultural expression that is so much the currency of our time. And it speaks to not just a generation, but also to communities, uh, often feeling dispossessed or, you know, again, not having voice, not feeling how to do it. Yeah. I'm just interested in what you think about our time. I mean, mm. how are you interpreting the, the world around us right now yeah. as both a voice and a young black man? Yeah who's married and got kids, you're thinking about today, but tomorrow, what do you see? It's bleak, but I have hope. Okay. <laughs> um, there is a lot going on right now in the world. Uh, you know, there's a meme being passed around uh, for about the past probably about three and a half, four years that says, if you wondered what you would have been doing in the civil rights era, if you wondered what you would have been doing, you know, in the uprisings of slavery with Nat Turner and things like that, take a look at your life and it's exactly what, you, what you're doing now. We are living through um, a revolution right now. And that's just on the topic of like race in America. When you, when you think through, as you said, I have a family, just being a responsible husband and father, like that's a, that's a weight that you got to carry. And then you got artistry and, and, and faith and all those things. There is a lot inside of the pot right now. There's a lot going on. Um, and a realist would look at things and say it's bleak. And what, give me a bleak. What, how, why are you seeing bleak on the yeah. horizon? The trajectory does not seem upward for our country. It seems like, dang, man, it just keep getting worse. Like, I remember, I remember being on the road. Uh, we were in um, Minneapolis doing a show the night that Donald Trump won the presidency. Uh, and it wasn't about 
Democrat or Republican it, that night. It wasn't about who you voted for. It was he won. And it was the saddest show we've ever played. Everybody was just melancholy. It don't matter how upbeat the song is. Like you trying to get into it and you just kind of giving a half clap because there's a weight here. The wind was out of the sail of that audience. Yes. And us as well. You know, mm -hmm. this is one, two, three, four black men and a Mexican on stage. <laughs> four black men and a Mexican <laughs> um, on stage. And as the minorities, we know what life is about to be like with him in the presidency. But there's majority white people in the audience. Y'all sad too. So it, there was just this heaviness. And I wanted to hope that, man, he going to do the right thing for the next four years. And that just wasn't the case. And this isn't about political lines being drawn. Because... What we're seeing now, you know, with the taking of the Capitol and the insurrection and things like that, people on both sides are angry. People on both sides are dissatisfied. People are on both sides are like, yo, this is broken. It needs to be fixed. That was this is four years later. So I would have hoped that the trajectory would have been upward and it's kind of like it has not been. We are on the cusp of another housing crisis. Um, we are, are on the cusp of possibly another depression, another Great Depression, if we're, if we're looking at analytics and statistics of the wealth gap in America. It's bleak. It's kind of like, is it safe? We got a pandemic jumping off right now. Like, I can't even, my mother passed in, you know, September of last year, and I had to think about if I could hug my aunt. And cry with her. I had to think about mm -hmm. that. Because it's a virus going around killing people. It's like, man, Genesis 3 really did a number on the world. <laughs> like, them, uh, Adam and Eve, boy, I'm going to slap Adam when I get to heaven, boy. Like, <laughs> y'all didn't I got know. A, I got a song for you, Adam. Yeah. yeah. It's like, man, I'm going to get up there. Peter, let me in. What's up? Where Jesus at? Dap my homie up. And then I'm finding Adam. And I'm going to have some <laughs> words with him. Because... Yeah. What God was trying to protect you from, you couldn't see. You couldn't see 2016 in the Garden of Eden. You couldn't see 2021 in the Garden of Eden. God's like, yo, I'm telling you, you don't want those problems. And here they are. And we're feeling the effects of those. So I say bleak from that standpoint. I say hopeful from the standpoint of God's not a liar. He's not a liar. Hey, I'm going to be with you to the end of the earth. If I coincide that with... If God is with us, if God is with us, with us, excuse me, if God is for us, who can be against us? I coincide that with like, yo, we're more than conquerors. I coincide that with like, there's no condemnation. I coincide. There's so many promises in the scriptures that says it looks bad, but it's going to be good. All things work together for the good of those. And you fill in the blanks there. It's kind of like, it don't look like it right now. But I know you're not a liar. Your track record is perfect. Your track record of saying something and it happening is perfect. You have no L's. You have no losses. There's not, there's a zero in the loss column for you. So if you said it, it has to happen. So I have hope. It's very bleak. Not sure how it's going to come together, but you believe it will. I know it will. Yeah. I'm taking that to the bank. You mentioned that your mom passed last year yeah. uh, in the fall. She's someone I knew. Uh, I lost my mom the year before. Mm. In fact, uh, I, I'll just tell you that one of the most uh, 
amazing parts of my mother's passing was uh, the service was in Seattle, and uh, which was her home and our home. Yeah. And uh, I stood up to speak at my mother's service in the way that you did at yours, mother's service. And to my utter and absolute astonishment, I, I just could not believe what I saw. Mm. Because in the fourth row on the right-hand side was Diana Swoop, who, battling cancer, mm. got on a plane mm -hmm. and one day flew there. I'm just saying... <laughs> I know a little bit about losing a mom, mm -hmm. and I'm just interested in your ex your sense of that. Uh, I, I was privileged to have my mom because I'm an old guy that's, you know, I'm older than your father. <laughs> <laughs> I've had my mom with me a long time. You're a young guy in your mom's past. Yeah. Uh, cancer is an awful thing, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a mm -hmm. dreadful enemy. But as you experience the passing of a parent, mm -hmm. and, and she was a towering figure for many people, but she was your mom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How do you experience, does it do anything for you, maybe I'm leading the witness here, uh, about life? Did it, does it say something to you about your life lived today and about the future? Uh, has it impacted you beyond just the loss of her? Yeah. Does it change up or scrub down your sense of life? It, it has motivated me to live on purpose. Um, at the funeral, and the funeral was four, a little over four hours, four hours and some change, maybe like four hours and 10 minutes. And I would argue music presentations and preaching aside, there was a solid two and a half hours, maybe two hours and 45 minutes of people saying, she was this, she started this, she built this, she poured into me in this way, she helped me in this way. And I'm sitting there like, I know all of these stories. I know all of these people, minus a couple. Um, but hearing the stories collectively painted a bigger portrait of my mom um, than what I had seen for the last 34 years. If I have a map and I have it this close to my face, then I could probably see three or four cities. But if I pull it out, then I can see the entire country. And the funeral was pulling the map out mm -hmm. and saying like, dang. I, I saw my mom, and, and she was great to me in that capacity, but she was so much more, and it was because she lived on purpose. Um, me, my sister, uh, my wife, uh, and a couple of my homies left the funeral fired up. Like, what have we been doing? Like, it's it's go time. Like, let's, So there's a level of intentionality that mm -hmm. I approach life with uh, now that I hadn't before, um, because she was the spark, yeah. you know, she was the spark. Um, well, a gift of, of, of comprehending unmistakably. Our days are numbered. Yeah. And what we got, we got. Yeah. And let's do it. Yeah. And <sighs> tough, but she knew like those last couple of years, as I referenced the conversations in my mind, it's like, you knew the book was closing. Um, so a lot of the impartations of wisdom to my children, a lot of setting things up and da da, da it was like, I know that the period to this sentence mm -hmm. is coming and I want to make sure I can actually turn it into an exclamation point. Um, intentional. Because she yeah. could have just faded away into the wind. I've lived a great life. 
Um, I've built so many wonderful things. I've helped people and I'm sick. It should just be about me. <laughs> yeah, so, so give me back some right now. Right, right. Yeah. She came to your mother's funeral. I know. So she... That's the microcosm. Yep. And I mean, that story has multiplied hundreds of thousands of times. No exaggeration. Um, so my mother's passing is, is, not was, is a paradigm-shifting, life-changing, life-altering event. Uh, I still, to this day, every probably about 45 minutes, like, dang, I need to call my mom and say, we went home for Christmas, and <laughs> my daughter caught me. We were there for a couple of days, and my daughter caught me sitting in a chair in the living room looking crazy perplexed, like, what's, what's going on? She's like, Daddy, what's the matter? I'm like, I don't know what's taking me. They called my mom Mina. It was Swahili for grandmother. I don't know what's taking Mina so long to come downstairs. It's taking her a uh-huh. crazy long time to get dressed. Daddy Mina not here. So I still have this, like, it's still gray, like, yes, yeah. yo, she she not here for real? Coincided and juxtaposed with, I know she's not here because of the legacy that she left. And I want to live intentionally to honor that. Um, a good friend of mine, Propaganda, in on a tour in 2013, talked to me about playing varsity. I had made an album that sounded a little bit too much like uh, a popular rapper at the time. And... Um, Prop was like, yo, you're you, and you're robbing the world of you. Like, play varsity. Like, don't. Yes. There is propaganda. Jason Petty. <laughs> That's your government name, champ. <laughs> <laughs> um, be the varsity version of you and not the junior varsity version of somebody else. Don't rob the world of that. And my mom was not a thief. She didn't rob the world of her. It was, I'm walking into this church, I'm walking into this meeting, I'm walking into this school, I'm walking into this job, I'm walking into your home, I'm walking into this relationship as me. Because I don't want to rob you of that. And 65 years later, people came out the woodworks to proclaim at her home going, she did come as herself, and here's how I benefited from it. Right. And she, the best version of herself. Mm-hmm. Not just a shadow, mm-hmm. not just a wannabe, mm-hmm. not on the bench. She was playing full court. And I mean, it was a sneak attack too, because I'm five six, so my mom had to be five four, five three, and uh, she her height could fool you. But boy, I've never met a bigger person. Absolutely. You know, uh, it was it was on purpose. It was I know my what, I have crafted my how. The Lord has provided the when and the where and the why. The why is my foundation. So I can walk in and speak because I know. I know my why. I know what I want to say. And I can speak and I can walk away and the results will be what they are. But I don't have to determine the results of me being myself because of what the Lord has placed inside of me. And the fruit that came out of that, I mean, I was astounded at the funeral seeing this composite picture of my mother come together that said, the Lord poured into me, and I died empty. I poured it all I back out. Back out. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, it's great. Okay, so what you got? You you released a new uh, single just yeah, yeah, yeah. just now. Yep. What's uh, it called? That's Friday. It's called Twenty Four, uh, featuring Aha Gazelle uh, out of New Orleans and Miguel Fresco out of Atlanta. Um, and it is based around. Is that it right there? That's it right there. Cool. Yes. 
What's it about? Huh, we didn't put that up on YouTube. <laughs> Somebody's getting sued so, so, after so, this podcast. <laughs> so worth a trip to figure <laughs> out that you, you need to watch your brand. Nah, that's all good. I, I love the music being spread. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's based on uh, Lamentations 323. Um, it's by the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. Uh, they're new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Every morning, we get a brand new set of mercies that have never been seen before and will never be seen again. We get this fresh set of 24 hours that the Lord trusts us with. What are you going to do with it? So it's it's a motivating song to say, like, if you're listening to this, you got a new 24 today. The hook says, thank you, Lord, for that new 24. Another swish, new mercies on the board. It's like, I got new mercies this morning, so I'm going to go and live as we just talked about with my mother, on purpose. I'm going to play varsity. I'm going to live intentionally. I'm going to live these 24 hours with confidence. It's not um, an overly explicit Christian song. It's not like I'm saying, yeah, Lamentation 3, 23, and the Lord said to me, like, no, I'm I'm not doing that. But the foundation is... I mean, it's inspired by the truth. The truth. That you found in Lamentations. Yes. Uh, and, And figuring out, as I have over the course of my career... How do I take these truths and make them palatable um, to people that don't have a taste for God at all? And that's uh, what 24 is. I'm telling you, if you serve me a Brussels sprout casserole, I'm not eating it. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. you do some broccoli cheese, I'm in. I'm just saying that, that that's what you're doing. Yes. You yeah. are serving up. And how can, some, how can people get more about you? Uh, more, what? All social media platforms, uh, Mr. Swoop, M-R-S-W-O-O-P-E. Uh, and then all digital uh, platforms for music. My music is on there as Swoop. Um, I enjoy, I, I really love conversing via social media with people um, because they're often surprised that I'm regular. Like, <laughs> we see you here and we saw you in the commercial and we, we you won a Grammy and da da, and you hobnobbing and da da da. And I'm like, man, did you see the most recent ep- episode of The Crown? They're like, you watch the same things that I do. You know, I'm a yeah, regular yeah, 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 person. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. anywhere that is digital via social media or uh, DSPs, digital platforms like Spotify or Apple Music, I'm there. Swoop for music, Mr. Swoop for social media. Well, I'm telling you, yeah, you are a regular guy, Swoop, uh, but you're an extraordinary regular guy. I appreciate it. I'm serious. Awesome to talk to you today. Thank you so much for coming to this table. Yeah, for sure. And you know, this is a... This is a, a brand we have here called All That To Say. Mm-hmm. And All That To Say, Yeah. what do you want to say to the world today? I would piggyback on the varsity, um, but I would say do your best to spend your days on earth creating. And that feels mm-hmm. weird from a musician because I'm not telling everybody to go rap. I'm not telling everybody to go you know, figure out how to play the piano. But you can create joy. You can create safe spaces. You can create something. Uh, and the reason that that has become so important to me is uh, my, my church started walking through the scriptures front to back uh, a few months ago, which has been great because context is king. You know, a lot of times scriptures get pulled yeah. out and it's like, no, that's not what that means. <laughs> um, the very first scripture in the Bible, before God establishes himself as Savior, uh, as Lord, as as all those things. In the beginning, God created. He says, I'm a creator. And the best way for my children to look like me 
is to create. One of the best ways for my children to look like me is to create. I would add on to spend your days creating. Spend your days creating as you. I've wasted a few years trying to make art like Kanye West, trying to make art like Lupe Fiasco or Kendrick Lamar and X, Y, and Z, which is how Prop had to stop me and say like, yo, Mm -hmm. be the varsity version of you, not the junior varsity version of somebody else, because then it's kind of like, uh... Yeah, that JV game was kind of cool, but I'm going to stick around and watch the actual varsity Kanye West, the actual varsity, Mm -hmm. you know. Whereas, I don't say this in arrogance, I say it in confidence. There is, has, never has been, never is, never will be another Allen swoop. I'm me, 100%, and you can attempt to duplicate it, but you're going to be missing something. Because the Lord created me on April 2nd, 1986, on purpose. Before that, before I was in my mom's womb, he knew me, he knitted me. So I would be robbing the world of not only my individuality, but also of my creation if I'm trying to be somebody else. Create. In the beginning, God created. In your now, you create. Create something. Create, um, like I said, a safe space. Create joy. Create uh, conversations. Create art. Create um, sermons, do something that's going to outlast, create something that's going to outlast you and create it as yourself because that's how it lasts. Like, <laughs> Drake has been running hip hop for about 15 to 17 years, and there have been thousands of Drake mimics that have come after them, and one by one, they just keep falling off the boat. Right. Because the, off, the real is right there. Like, I don't need the counterfeit. The real is right there. And he's created something as himself. I charge everyone, but specifically believers, to do the same thing. God establishes himself from jump as a creator. Create something. But he, he established himself as a creator himself. In the beginning, God created. Not in the beginning, some random person or some mystical entity created. Like, I created this. And I created it as me. And I charge people to do the same. You know, I've often thought about that passage in that same early Genesis, mm-hmm. how we're, we are created in the image of God. That's the idea, isn't mm-hmm. it? Humanity is created in the image of God. And what does that mean? Yeah. And does he look like me? And is he male? Is he female? Is he you know, white or black? I mean, there's yeah. a hundred ways people have wrestled with the question. Yep. But I think probably it comes right down to what you just said. Only humankind in all of creation has the capacity to create. Nothing else can do it. And that's how we reflect God. Come on. And there you are. And I'm telling you, Swoop, you are the Imago Dei. Let me tell you. I appreciate it. it. As are you. Thanks so much. Thanks for being with us. Yes, sir. Godspeed. For more information, visit allthattosay.org. Thank you for joining the conversation. Don't forget to like and subscribe.